Hello, Erica. Hello, Stephen. Welcome to the 1970s or 1980s. I'm not too sure which right yet. Uh, want, want, ref, reference acknowledged. Yes. It's Doctor Who, Spearhead from Space, Episode 1, broadcast on January 3rd, 1970, in color. In color. Such color. And... The credits don't roll anymore. They just flash up title cards and, oh yeah, also the Doctor's different. <laughs> Doctor Who is different as well and we don't see him for the longest time because we get reintroduced to Brigadier and this and, and everything else. It's, it's, uh, it feels so different. It does. Well, we do see the Doctor fall out of the TARDIS. That's true. Apart from that though, I mean, it was deliberately structured so that we don't actually really get a good look at him until the Brigadier actually finally does. So we, we discover the new Doctor's identity along with him. Yep, that was that was a nice piece of uh, writing and direction. I like that. Mm-hmm. Robert Holmes wrote this, his third story after such classics as the Crotons and the Space Pirates, of course. Both which are winners in my book. I know, but then he's now this starts like Robert Holmes' little um, career of using throwaway things that become canon for years and years and years um like you know he'll do again in like the time warrior and deadly assassin and other such stories but here it's the first time we see that doctor who has two hearts that's right yeah is this somebody somebody's idea of a joke <laughs> yeah well kind of is robert holmes idea of not not so much a joke but mm-hmm. just a a very easy visual way to show that this is not a human being that this is an alien so between that and then the blood which is not something that you can show quite as easily you have to talk about the stickiness of the platelets or something like that um but yeah so like those two things it's all cardiovascular related um which is a wonderful way to illustrate the doctor's alienness but then yeah that just becomes a thing two hearts Mm. it's that's Time Lord Cannon, right there. Boom. Yeah, yeah, it's fascinating how, you know, we sort of know he's not human um, from the get-go in the whole sto- in the whole series, but it's never really, you know, talked about what is different about him, mm-hmm. you know, and just like, oh, he's, you know, he's bleeding or there's blood or he's, you know, they check his heartbeat without really mentioning that he has two because mm-hmm. then come up with the, yeah, uh, this is sort of the first overt um, reference that yep he is an alien he has two hearts and which beat like 10 per minute basically yeah that's weird like you'd think that with two hearts his pulse would be faster but nope i guess that's the time lords have very efficient circulatory systems very efficient i mean there's nothing in canon one way or the other to tell us that the first or second doctor had two hearts so it's possible it's a you know after you've gone through two regenerations which aren't called that yet um mm-hmm. that's when you grow your second heart who knows there's all kinds of headcanon to be had with this uh, development here yeah or else like he found a way of disguising perhaps that was part of his own personal disguise they could disguise the second heartbeat so i don't get found out mm-hmm. yep there's there's a lot of <clears throat> a lot of possibilities mm-hmm. but it is cool that this is this is the this is the heart of it so to speak yeah I get it. Yeah, he's he's just giving me a, a, a. If it's possible to roll your eyes without actually moving your eyes, that's the look that I'm getting. I'm efficient as well. <laughs> um, so uh, this is a whole yeah. So so John Pertwee, the bits that you've seen, um, which is not many. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a story that you've seen though, and I can't remember if you liked it or at least were pleasantly surprised that you didn't hate it the first time around when you watched it for Verity. Yeah, I had seen a handful of. John Pertwee stories, and by a handful, I mean maybe three or four. Um, 
before in recent enough memory to to know that he's not my favorite doctor so i went into spearhead from space we watched it for verity and i think it was our year of firsts and lasts because this is a, a lot of firsts yeah. <laughs> um and i was pleasantly surprised because i found the doctor you know we'll get to it but uh charming and warm and uh, certainly in this episode, you don't get a lot from him, but his body language is, to me so far, very reminiscent of the second Doctor, which I think is a nice touch. Mm-hmm. Like, he's still kind of at that point where he's, you know, learning how to use this new body. So, like, the way that he flops over with his shoes in his arms, like, <laughs> these are mine, you can't yeah. have them. Like, that felt very pouty second Doctor yeah. to me. Uh, and, you know, his... Like, I need my shoes, my shoes. Like, that just, I could totally picture Patrick Troughton doing sort of those those same lines. And then, of course, we find out the reason he's so upset about his shoes is because, oh, that's the key to the TARDIS is, mm-hmm. is hidden in there, which is very clever, actually. Um, so the uh thus far right um i feel like it's a, a very good sort of transitiony kind of episode from mm-hmm. the second doctor to what we're going to get with the third doctor and i don't want to talk too much about that because we're gonna get there yeah it is yeah it's uh you know it's he's del- as i said before he's sort of deliberately kept um back a little bit we barely it's funny i have i didn't realize how little we actually do see of him in the first episode, it's more establishing the format of the show as being this this new unit driven kind of thing, and I think it is kind of telling that we see you know it's the Brigadier show at the beginning, and it's be- through his eyes that we see the Doctor for the first time because the Brigadier is sort of like the the entry level character, the only person we know of basically. If you had watched the show prior to this, yeah, it's interesting to sort of compare and contrast this with uh, the uh, Power of the Daleks, which is the first. Um, second doctor story in that you know it is very much a story about figuring out who the heck is this guy is this really the doctor which you know obviously we're getting you know echoes of that same sort of thing again but there it was through the eyes of ben and polly um and jamie right nope not jamie yet no he joined the next story that's right he didn't come until the highlanders i know what i'm talking about totally (laughs) uh so you know people that have have known him for at least a little while and here yeah, the only person that has known him before was the brigadier who, you know, hung out with him for a brief time, yeah. a couple of times, but it's not sort of the same thing. You know, he shows up out of nowhere. So the brig doesn't, didn't see the transformation, didn't know for sure whether he came out of the TARDIS. You know, for all he knows, maybe there's multiple TARDISes mm-hmm. that look like police boxes and this is a different guy. So there's a lot more mystery for the people on the screen. Um, or a deeper mystery, I guess, than there was in The Power of the Daleks. So it's, we're getting some some of the uh, similar things, but from totally different angles. And and you're right; it does feel like such a such a reset because, you know, with with Ben and Polly, any of the scenes that we're focusing on them talking about, you know, muttering to each other about who is this guy? Is this really the Doctor? Could it be? Like that still felt like a part of you know it was a piece with everything that had gone before mm-hmm. whereas this like from moment one feels like a completely different show like the titles like the credits being in color and yeah just, just it's it it feels like a very different show the zooming of the uh of the title spearhead <laughs> from face coming at you whoop, like it's like this is this show is it, it is in your face that this is not quite the same thing that we've seen before so it's really cool that you do see the the doctor sort of falling out of the TARDIS and that's it and then 
you get to you cut to actually it's it's not the brigadier right away it's it's Le Shaw, yeah. um which is cool and uh and yeah so like you're introducing this new character and then you see the brigadier and it's just it's them having a conversation and interacting and it's delightful uh-huh. uh her she's just she is so unimpressed uh-huh. with all of it that it just makes me so happy and the brigadier is also kind of like smooth and suave in like oh you know sure you don't have to believe me because he knows mm-hmm. what he knows and it's uh, just, like that whole interplay is is wonderful and you're right it does it feels like a different show because you're completely outside of anything we've seen before the doctor's not involved at this point mm-hmm. it just it feels new and fresh and it's very pretty yeah this this feels like you know the first regeneration as we'll call it retroactively is you know like while well, we're recasting a new doctor basically in the middle of a run because like it's it's separated by a week the week before ben and polly witnessed the doctor change into this new person and then the very next week it's like we have to deal with this now and so they the companion the friends of the doctor see him change um which is kind of the validating thing well you'd see the very end of it i guess when they flip him over and there he is but um no one sees the doctor change from Troughton to Pertwee. Mm-hmm. So we're just, except the, you know, not even the viewers. No, you know? maybe maybe the Time Lords did. I think they did because they gave, uh, eventually they'll give him shoes that fit because John <laughs> Pertwee's taller than Patrick Troughton. But a full six months have passed in between, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the war games and this. Uh, so like, it's, it's like, you know, it's, he's brand new to a lot of people's eyes. I suppose maybe, maybe some people, um, were watching Dr. Who for the first time with this. Certainly more people were watching this story than, than were at the end of the Troughton year. I think perhaps wooed on by a, by a new doctor and, and color and everything else. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh. It's, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty fascinating. And, oh, I, I wanted to also mention about the doctors, um, when he gets the mirror to to look at it like it's just his line delivery even like oh no what have they done Mm -hmm. to be like it just it feels very very sort of second doctory and then like you can kind of see the shift as he's looking at himself because like you know he's first looking at oh no that Mm -hmm. the face and he grabs part of his face and tugs it down the hair like it's all that's so patrick troutney and then like he tilts his head a little bit. He's like, well, I think it's kind of distinguished mm-hmm. or, or whatever it is. Distinctive. Distinctive. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and yeah, like that's. I feel like that's the moment where he really starts to shift into his own as mm-hmm. a, a sort of a new person. Like he still he st- still has, like I said, some of the body language, the shoes, and all that kind of stuff. But like you you recognize that he's fitting into this body you know sort of more than i think he expected to at the beginning like it, it happens pretty fast there mm-hmm. it, yeah i find that of all well I'm, I'm not gonna say this because i don't think any doctor really like starts off completely different than what he becomes but i feel like john pertwee's performance in his first story is very established it feels like even though he famously said like he doesn't know um, he never knew how to play it. It was Sean Sutton, his friend, and, and like the controller of BBC One, I think, or head of drama at the time. Um, he told John Pertwee, "Just play him as yourself." He says, "Well, who is who is that? I don't. I'm an actor. I don't know who to play myself." And so, it, it maybe because he plays himself, he is himself, and that's maybe why it feels like a, a natural performance to me. Hmm, interesting. Hmm. Like, interesting that I like him here and don't like him later. So I feel like there's definitely some sort of a shift in whether that's his, his portrayal or the writing of the character or what it is. Hmm. Like, I'm I'm very much looking forward to experiencing that and sort of discovering what it is I do and don't like about him and all of that right. stuff. 
Well, see, season seven, I find, as a whole, is a different beast. Mm-hmm. Um, because uh, we're witnessing the last story produced by Derek Sherwin, even though he was he sort of put the idea in place for the rest of the season, and then Barry Letts comes in afterwards, um, more or less towards the end of the next story, Doctor Who and the Silurians, I think. But he didn't really have any you know, decisions made on how the story of the series is going to progress is already made for him. So I think what Derek Sherwin had in mind and Terrence Dix as well, perhaps was different than, than what followed. So as a result, I think we get a little bit more of um, an adult focused approach to Dr. Who, mm-hmm. like, you know, a little more intelligent as opposed to running around in space uh, with monsters and stuff. You can tell just How by the... How dare you, uh, sir? I, I know, different <laughs> that in their eyes anyway, but you could just tell by the approach of, of Liz... Mm. How nothing against Jamie or or Zoe, um, who are there often to ask questions, and you know sometimes, and, and according to some writers, but Liz is just very much like an established scientist brought in from Cambridge to help out with this thing by the Brigadier. I mean, she was she's already an established scientist in her own right, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, it, it's very clear. The Brigadier makes it very clear that she's basically being brought in to replace the Doctor, mm-hmm. like to not replace the Doctor, but to fill the the hole that is left by the Doctor not around all yeah. the time you know he's talking about all the th- things that she's done and like a dozen other degrees like mm-hmm. you're the kind of all-rounder that we want yeah. we used to have this guy and then he gets this almost wistful look in his eye <laughs> when he's saying like this other fellow who blah 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 like yeah like look he's looking off in the distance like they're they're just buds uh-huh. i just love them so much the doctor and, and the brig deer um so so yeah so she is on a par with the doctor to some extent as far as unit is concerned mm-hmm. because they went and like they looked through the country and she was the one who was the closest in terms of what they needed uh, especially with this you know meteorite thing yeah. happening um at this time which of course is very mysterious and glowy and um electronic sounding mm-hmm. beep 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 thunderbolts i call them yeah, yes and then there of course is a an old poacher yeah. got to have a poacher and a dead dead bunny Poor bunny. Mm-hmm. Yep. But they're so good when you cook them off a little salt and onion. Was salt that? and onions. Yep. Mm-hmm. Actually, that sounds really good. Uh, but yeah, so you're you're right. It's it's a different feel. Like it's clear that Zoe is as as clever as the Doctor mm-hmm. is in a lot of ways. But she's a teenager, and so is is Jamie. Like yeah. that's the Doctor traveling around with a couple of kids. This is Liz Shaw is not a kid she is she is very accomplished and it's uh you know they haven't really met yet but clearly they're going to have a different kind of relationship Mm -hmm. than we have seen with a doctor before because even i mean we had um ian and barbara with the first doctor that was that was uh, i think maybe a little bit closer because you know they're the grown-ups and you do have a kid with them Mm -hmm. um actually all the time you know because you either have susan or vicky and uh and yeah you have more of a it's it's certainly not equals because the doc, first doctor doesn't feel like any like any mere human is equal mm. to him, but they react uh, interact with him on a level that's uh, like they feel like they're on the same same playing field as he is. They feel that, but mm-hmm. but you know it's a doctor taking them off into time and space, yep. whereas Liz Shaw is in her world. And the doctor is now yeah. there. So like she, you know, she has kind of the, not the upper hand, but she's the one who is more familiar with her surroundings than Doctor Who is. It's her home ter- turf as opposed to the the doctor's home turf, whereas the TARDIS is the doctor's home turf. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like there's a lot of a lot of things that you can kind of point back to and it's similar, but it's turned on its ear. It's like 90 degrees mm-hmm. different from the way it was before. I'd say 180. Blop. I was going to just say 90. So oh. there. 
that's a pretty pretty big difference. Uh, you said it looks ninety. Ninety is the difference. Oh, okay, it, it's <laughs> so so. Um, you said it looks pretty, and it does. We're watching the Blu-ray. Boy, how spoiled! I remember. So when I watched, uh, when I was getting into Doctor Who, rather, I sort of like um, would watch a bit of Tom Baker. And then I stopped watching for a couple of years. And I reason that's why, because we didn't have a VCR. <laughs> and so it was airing often, like when my parents were watching the television. So I just, I didn't have any chance to watch it because it was airing on like the weekdays episodes. And then they had like a, a story or something at, on Saturday nights. And then, but those are always airing like during Tommy Hunter or something like that. Um, these are strange things to you, but Tommy Hunter is like a country variety show back in the day. That does sound like the kind of thing that your parents would want to watch. Yeah. And so by the time I actually started watching Doctor Who, it was again with Tom Baker mostly. And then I got hooked on it and then watched it all the way up and through to the end of the Sylvester McCoy era. And then, only then, in like 1989 or 90 or something, did I finally see John Pertwee. And it was this, and it was on film, and I thought, whoa, was Doctor Who on film back in the 1970s? It's only for this one story, because they, do you want to know, do you know, want to know why? Yeah, why? Do you know why, or is he just uh, playing I'm, along with me? I am certain that you have told me before, but I don't remember, so tell me again. There was a strike, uh, BBC strike, uh, some upgrade for, for pay or something like that from, from a union, I think. I don't know if it is a similar strike to... What happened to Upstairs Downstairs in 1971? I mention this just because they ITV was moving to color or had moved to color, but there is a whole different process of shooting in black and white uh, than to color because you know you're wondering about what what colors look like on the screen. I mean, for lighting, for shooting it, all these things you have to take into effect. I don't think unions were properly trained or didn't feel they were properly trained and so the first few episodes of upstairs downstairs that broadcast in 1971 actually were made in black and white because the union refused to do it until they were like properly trained or properly were compensated anyway and i don't know if that was what affected this uh or if it was a scene sh scene shifter strike or, or whatever well we'll be talking a lot about bbc strikes now yeah. over the next uh, few years of doctor who so they had done the location shooting, like the stuff outside and a couple other places. But when it came time to do the studio, um, there were there was no studio space because they were on strike. And so Derek Sherwin, to his credit, says, well, we'll just make it on film then. And so they went out. Most of the, the interiors and stuff are shot at, I think, BBC, someplace in Norton or something, some training facility. So it was technically on BBC property. So they didn't have to, like, get waivers or anything like that and did it did it really actually rather quickly and on a similar schedule than to what they would have done in the studio. So it really was training exercises, just like the Brigadier said. It really was. And they were lucky to have Derek Martinus directing his last Doctor Who story as someone who really got it done. Because I, I look at this and I can't tell that it was like ever not supposed to be on film. You know, this feels like a complete piece. It, it really does. Like it, it has a very sort of modern, like not now, but modern for the time mm -hmm. feel like very, you know, people talk about this being like the James Bondy era. And I can absolutely see that because that is kind of what it feels like. You're getting, you know, so far just hints and, and tantalizing glimpses of, uh, of what's going on. But like, you know, down to the idea of calling in the media because a weird mm -hmm. story is happening like that, just that feels like a very modern earthbound thing yeah. to happen. Yeah. What I, what, what I was speaking of film, I don't know if you noticed in there, but uh, I think probably 
the BBC film Cameraman, I can't, I can't remember what his name was in the credits, makes a cameo appearance because as one of the news cameramen, you can see him in there, they cut to some of his shots. Ah. He's actually shooting the scene, but he's also pretending to be a part of the media. So they're actually usually like when they're interviewing the uh, Captain Monroe and then the Brigadier, uh-huh. those are actually from the camera that's in the scene itself. That is amazing and genius, and I love that. That's yep. that's my favorite kind of Doctor Who trivia when you can you can pull something like that off, which obviously doesn't happen very often. But yay! Oh, that's super cool. Also, in that scene, Prentice Hancock. Prentice Hancock's first appearance, first of four appearances in Doctor Who. One of those appearances is in the Rebos Operation, yes. a very underrated story. Yes, his Doctor Who career culminates in the Rebos Operation because how can you possibly top the Rebos Operation? You can't. That is the answer. So, um, but no, it was exciting to see him, and he looks very different without a big fuzzy hat. Yeah, and he's also not playing a jerk. <laughs> he's used to usually playing jerks in uh, his Doctor Who career. So good for him for not doing that. Well, I mean, he might be a jerk. He doesn't have very many lines. So, like. He's just, he's a reporter trying to, trying to get a beat. But, you know, maybe when he goes home, he's a complete <laughs> jackass to his girlfriend. Who knows? <laughs> fast, I suppose, to, to think of Prentice Hancock that way. I am, yeah, I'm, I'm coming up with his whole headcanon for his, like, you know, he's, he's, he's grumpy and kind of a jerk, but he's got a heart of gold and he right. really just wants to get the story and maybe someday he wants to retire to a farm and raise goats. Right. Yep. These are... <laughs> Yep. This is the wow. The look on your face. You're just he. He literally just like turned his hands over. Like what the hell? I can't argue with him. Maybe he just (laughs) want to raise cones. Um, As a result of this thing being on film, it is the earliest surviving original um, broadcast master that that exists Mm -hmm. in Doctor Who because they usually usually made 16 millimeter film copies for it for overseas sale. They think of oh hey we already have it. I imagine some probably black and white copies of this Mm. exist, but uh, but it stayed in in the archives the whole time. So this is the first Doctor Who story that was never missing. uh, from its original broadcast master, so to speak. How about that? What a milestone! Yeah, wow. That's a that's a really that's a really heartbreaking milestone. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Kept around because it was already on a format that we didn't have to wipe. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, because you can't really wipe film. That's just not a thing. No, it is not a thing. That's that's why. I do, yeah. You burn it. Well, hopefully you don't. Or, but that's what they did. Or throw in the bin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Anything else about episode? I know that we've probably talked about um, episode one longer than actually episode one, but it's mm-hmm. the birth of a whole new era. So yeah, I feel like a lot of the talking that we did is about the change from mm-hmm. from the black and white '60s era to the color fancy '70s era, and future episodes are probably going to focus more on the story itself and what's happened on screen. So I feel like this is uh, it's appropriate to go a little bit long. This is like not just a milestone because it's the first one mm-hmm. that was never missing. It's a milestone in so many other ways. Yeah, and for us too, because we're watching stuff in color. Yeah, this is like I just I feel like we've leveled up, sort of in a way, just with with the podcast and and keeping going. I kind of I was so happy and comfortable watching all the black and white Doctor Mm -hmm. Who. It was just it was like a warm fuzzy blanket, and it was it was nice. And you know, there were definitely stories I hadn't seen, but there was just something about it that was so familiar. And now, like at the time, I couldn't even really picture what it would be like. To, to watch something that was so right. very different and now we've come out of it and it is it's exciting but it's a little bit scary mm-hmm. um it's like the fuzzy blanket has been taken away and now i've been given i don't know a pair of pants or something like that right. instead and it's also also good but uh no oh, by the way i mean uh trousers for you uh, uh british folks but mm-hmm. um but yeah like 
like oh it's time to get out of bed and and sit up and get dressed yeah mm-hmm. it, it says something when the fact that it's in color and not black and white is like maybe the third most shocking change yeah. in in the show from mm-hmm. making it earthbound and and um, making a shorter season and different doctor. different doctor and all that. Yeah. It's a whole new year. I feel like this is the biggest change, even, even from, from Capaldi to Jodie Whittaker's era. Mm-hmm. I, you know, what about from like McCoy to McGann to, um, Eccleston? No. Cause that's 16 yep. years, yep, that's you know? Right. Um, I feel like, and, and I find that, you know, there's some reverence to the show's past, in in like in especially the tv movie there's a lot of callbacks and and i think you know in in the eccleston season probably less so but you can tell that they really wanted to <laughs> whereas this feel you know back in these days you know doctor who wasn't made by diehard fans their mm-hmm. doctor who was made by whatever the bbc put in charge of it and so you know, when Derek Sherwood says, oh, let's just completely change absolutely everything. Can, you know, can you imagine? I mean, it's kind of like when Jodie Whittaker's Doctor debut says, oh, there's there's standalone stories and there's no returning monsters. And people say, what are they doing? Well, here we go. How about this? It's in color now. It's now set on Earth. The Doctor doesn't even travel in his TARDIS anymore. There are no returning monsters. There's a military organization working with. Can you imagine if this change happened now, what fandom would be like? Yeah, I can, and it's ugly. Oh, nice. <laughs> yep, there's uh, yeah, there are some corners of fandom that would not take well to that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you're right. You're right. This is this is ginormous. It's huge, mm-hmm. pretty big. It 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 shows that Doctor Who's format can do whatever it wants mm-hmm. uh, by not by not going out into the stars anymore, or at least for for a little bit anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Wow. I'm very excited by it. I, was, I quite enjoyed watching episode one, and I'm looking forward to, to hearing your reactions to all the John Pertwee stories that you haven't seen yet. It's exciting and scary. Yeah. Part of part of me, because uh, we're, we're doing this, we're rushing to get done uh, Doctor Who and the Silurians in time for you to, to watch it for Verity. Part of me didn't want to have you watch it twice in such close succession, but also because based on your slight hesitation towards John Pertwee, part of me also didn't want to subject you <laughs> to watch it twice just in case you didn't like it. So I was thinking of you. Okay, that's that's yeah. fair. That is fair. I thought you were just being selfish and you just wanted my first reactions for this podcast. No, I was thinking of, of yeah, because 14 episodes is a lot to watch mm-hmm. in, in a short amount of time. So You're very kind. You're you're nicer than I sometimes give you credit for. Just like John Pertwee's doctor. Oh, very nice. Nicely done. Well. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. Can't top that. So I guess uh, until next time. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye.